0: This morning we're going to be in John chapter 5, looking at the last part of that passage. So if you'll begin turning there, we're going to be in verses 30 through 47 today, John chapter 5. And today's, the main idea today is Jesus is testifying to himself. He's providing a witness for himself. And uh, we're going to look at that and how we you know, can do what like he mentions here and not receive that, even though he's um, professing to himself and testifying to himself. And we'll look at that sin issue. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Lord Jesus, we pray now as we come to your word. Specifically, these words that you spoke concerning your, your own witness, the testimony about you and your validity as our Savior, as our Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to glean from the text the truth that, there, that is there, so much so that it causes us to turn away from the sin of seeking other gods, which we are so wont to do so Lord, help us with this text, guide us to the truth, convict us of our sin, give us your mercy as we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've shared with you before that I don't really like to watch television too much, it's not that I'm like particularly industrious, I just choose other things to pass by my time besides television, and uh. But when I do watch television, one thing I really like to watch is infomercials. <laughs> I know that sounds like the opposite ends of the spectrum. When I do watch television, I watch something completely useless. Now, I think infomercials are actually good, pretty good. And because they always, there's something about, like, some kind of new snazzy product that just happens to be the greatest thing ever, of course, that grabs our attention, you know, it's like, oh, I've always wanted that, and they just happen to make that, and the person that's presenting is really good at making it look like it's the best thing ever, and we can't live without it. You know, we always like the promise of something new and better and flashier or, or whatever, because they, we always think that that's going to be exactly what we need to whatever task, because they always make it look so great. Good friend I had in high school, his family always bought the stuff that was on T V, which just made my whole day anytime. Anytime they would buy things. And so I couldn't wait to see it and actually get it out of the box and like see if I could get it to work like they did on T V. And I remember one thing they bought was called the Ronco Showtime Rotisserie. And you know the set it and forget it. You guys have all probably seen that. I've seen it more times than I cared to mention. And we you know, we all remember that. Well, we tried to cook various things In that, right out of the box, you know, I was in high school, maybe late middle school even, and we made lots of messes that evening. Uh, We didn't really even create anything edible. We did not do what they did on the show. Uh, Most of that was because we were kids, uh, but part of it was because the product didn't actually deliver as it was advertised because we weren't trained in product demo, obviously. We weren't trained in using a Showtime rotisserie. We didn't have a production team to make it look all glitzy and nice. We just had some bad food to show for it, and that was about it. So in the time of Jesus' life on earth, there were many who made the claim to Messiah. They claimed they were the Messiah, they had followers, and they led people. Uh, The title, which actually belongs to Jesus alone, and we understand that from the scriptures, they came with promises they came with with hope for the people for with hope for Israel without Rome which is great you know which was the hope of all Israel at the time the time when Israel would again be a world power when when the people would be shown the true promised land of God or the time when the king would finally come and rule Israel forever and ever All of these messiahs had this promise. However, when it came time for them to deliver on those promises, those men usually ended up on a Roman cross, where their body stayed until it decayed off. Well, Jesus ended up on a Roman cross too, and we know that. But we stand today as his people, as a testament to the fulfilled promises that he came to fulfill Because he is alive today. And he did not decay off the cross, but he rose from the dead. He wasn't this flash in the pan Messiah, but he was the real deal. And is still today the only hope for the people of this world. Well, there were many in Jesus' time who didn't believe his claims to the role of Messiah. We've, read, we've been reading this in this chapter, actually. They didn't believe his claims to the role of Messiah, nor his claim to deity. So in this section today, Jesus is going to show us how legally, actually working through the legal tradition of the day, he is attested to, not according to his own witness, but the witnesses of others. And So we're going to look at those witnesses today, and we'll also look how we are fickle And our faith of our Savior. And we continue to receive other saviors rather than the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to look at four points today. The witness of John the Baptist. The witness of signs and wonders. The witness of the Father. And then lastly, the witness of the Scriptures. So with that, let's go to the text. John chapter 5. Verses 30 through 47, let's stand together as we read the word of God. John chapter 5, starting at verse 30, hear the word of the Lord. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he, or you, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? Do not think that I will accuse you or do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe these writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So real quick, I want to take a little trip into uh, Deuteronomy, just so we can get an idea of what's going on here and why Jesus needs to bear or have all these witnesses testify to his authenticity. And so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. Remember, Jesus is a Jewish man. He is the Savior of the world. He's the creator of all things, but he's a Jewish man, and he's abiding by Jewish law. And so here in Deuteronomy 17, we see some of that law. Let me read the first seven verses here. And again, pay attention. This is why Jesus is having had this testimony about himself. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep in which is a blemish. Any defect, Whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within your own, within, or within any of your towns that the Lord your God has given you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun of the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you have heard it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall, bring out, uh, you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness the hand of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all people so you shall purge the evil from your midst and in chapter 19 there's a similar kind of passage that has to do with crime and if and you can it's verses 15 through 21 you can read that on your own and what's essentially going on is the account of one witness will not be enough there has to be two and for someone to give false witness about themselves is the same as committing the actual crime i mean the lord thought this so important that he did one of the 10 commandments about about it thou shalt not bear false witness so it was a heinous crime to give a false witness concerning a crime if that crime was blasphemy like we read from 17 or if that was any kind of crime like a murder or theft or anything like we would see in Deuteronomy 19. And so the importance of bearing witness about oneself is an important thing for the Hebrew people. And so Jesus makes the claim that if he makes witness about himself, his testimony is not true. Well, Jesus is God in the flesh, and if he'd like for his testimony to be binding in and of itself, then it would be. It is. He does not need anyone else to testify to him. If no one believes in the God of the universe, he is still the God of the universe. However, we have to remember that the Son of God became man and dwelt among him, subjecting himself to him. So Jesus here is abiding by the laws of man, the laws that made are made for man concerning criminals, concerning false worshippers of God. And if they were going to accuse Jesus of blasphemy, which they've done, if they're going to accuse him of Sabbath breaking which they've done, they've done this in the previous passage, then he was going to practice this due diligence and showing them that he is indeed who he says he was and that he has the right to be doing what he's been doing. So as we come to this passage, we can see what Jesus is doing here. and And I hope that's important. And why he says that he's doing this following his defense. Because people are fickle. He reminds us of this task of his task to judge men according to whether or not they believe in him. It's a lack of belief in Jesus Christ that causes men to stand condemned for all eternity. And there's no no amount of self attest, attestation that anyone can do because we are dead in our trespasses and we're incapable. We need Jesus. And so now we're going to look at his defense. For who he is. So first he appeals to the witness of John the Baptist. We've we've read a lot about John the Baptist so far in this book of John. Because he's an essential character here at the beginning. So remember John the Baptist would have been a very popular figure of the day. Particularly before Jesus came on the scene. And we kind of saw that changing of the guard where John said he must increase and I must decrease. And we kind of saw the popularity of one wane and the other go up. But remember he gave witness about himself from the scriptures. And what did he say? That he was the bo- the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40. This is him that, that's, that that passage is about. He was the one that pointed to Jesus and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He reasoned with the naysayers from the scriptures as his, as to his own role in the story as well as that of his lords. And he made sure everyone, including his own followers, saw that Jesus was the one that others looked to for salvation, and there was no other. Jesus said of him that he was a, a burning and shining lamp, echoing what the apostle John had already written about him in chapter 1. So turn back to chapter 1, and let's look quickly at this. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This is what the apostle writes about him after the prologue there. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He came to be a witness. He came to be the one that is testifying about the validity of Jesus' Jesus's place here on earth. He came to make sure that Jesus' claim was substantiated so that lost men and lost women of Israel and today might be saved. It says, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. What Jesus says concerning John the Baptist, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And again, what is he speaking to the fickleness of mankind, this moving from one fuzzy feeling to the next? You know, you can imagine kind of the saying, you remember that time John baptized, baptized us out in the wilderness? And yeah, that was a time when I really felt alive in my faith. And you hear you hear talk like this today, because too often, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to move from one fuzzy feeling to the next never really grounding ourselves in the truths of the faith like John did. When they asked John, who are you, he quoted scripture. John the Baptist would have, our, have us place our faith alone in the one who came to proclaim, in the one who came to make that faith sure. So if our faith is based on feelings, what are we always going to be hunting for? That next feeling, that next spiritual high, whatever causes it to happen. Rather than realizing that in Christ, we are as high as we can be. We have eternal life. We are children of the King. And if that doesn't excite us, then nothing will. This has to be a constant fight for us as believers. Because we long for that time when our faith was the strongest. You all know what I'm talking about. But we have to realize that at times, we're all going to have these feels. We're all going to have these good feelings. And at other times, we're going to feel nothing. Thankfully, our feelings do not manipulate the truth. So, we have to rest upon the truth, not our feelings. We have to trust the Savior, rather than how we feel about a particular thing. Because any of those things can easily become idols for us, and we have to cast those down. And so next, Jesus appeals to the witness of signs and wonders. He says, there's a greater testimony than that of John's. John is a sinful man. And John even struggled with the fact that perhaps Jesus isn't the Savior. And maybe they should look for another. Remember. That John has seen a lot of amazing things in his short time with Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. Luke chapter 7, 18 through 23. Says this, the disciples of John reported, well, first of all, um, let me back up a little bit. The the disciples came to, to Jesus and they were wondering, or they were they had a question to ask from John. And this is this is how this whole interaction goes forward. Sorry. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the lord saying are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another and and when the men had come to him they said john the baptist has sent us to you saying are you the one are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind he bestowed sight and he answered them Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds. And we'll get to that in a second. So, what happened? Well, Jesus spent the day showing these messengers of John... That he was indeed the Savior. They came and they said, well, are you the one or should we be looking for another? And again, don't fault John for this. Why? Because he's just like us. He even saw the Savior face to face. He saw heaven opened up and a dove descending down like the Spirit of God. And he heard the Father speak audibly ...about Jesus at the, at the baptism of Jesus, and after that he's asking Jesus, are you really the Messiah? So once John's disciples saw this works, they left likely convinced of what they heard and saw that day. The works that Jesus did on this earth testify to him being God incarnate, the one who spoke all things into existence... The one who would come after the fall of man to make all things new again. Just like we sang this morning in joy to the world. As far as the curse is found. We see this over and over again in the Gospels. Healing folks. Setting wrong things right. And you'd think from this that we might believe. Just like the people in Jesus' day, we still struggle. We see some shiny new savior. Money, power, reputation, approval of others, control. We see this shiny new savior. Man, it looks really nice. If I could just have that, then everything would be great. If I could just get this group of people to like me, if I could just have this amount of money, if I could just have power over these people, if I could just have control over this situation, that's the new shiny thing. And we think that it's the one that we should buy because Jesus really isn't living up to as he was advertised. We'd like to think we're better than the ones in this story, but we're not. We need Jesus just as much. So let's look at the rest of this story in Luke chapter 7. look at verse 24 and forward. When John's messengers has gone, Jesus began to speak to the the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. He will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having just been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children. Sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played a flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. So, just in case they were now concerned about John's strength because John was questioning whether or not Jesus was the right one, Jesus makes sure that the crowd understands the greatness of the faith of John the Baptist. And then he turns to the leaders of that day. And who does he compare them to? He compares them to fickle little children who are impressed by very little. And this makes me think of my days when I was in youth ministry. Youth pastors really do need our prayers, brothers and sisters, because sadly the church has been grabbed a hold of this entertainment model of ministry. And it's made our students fickle when it's come to their faith. It's actually made our adults fickle too. Because they're parents of these kids. And if a youth pastor can't keep up this hype facade, then they'll find another one who can. Who can play them a song that they'll actually dance to. Youth pastors have to make a decision between preaching the truth and feeding their family. This is a horrible place for the church to put anyone, sadly. And it's not just youth pastors. It's all teachers of the truth. And we could just say, well, this is just a youth issue or this is just a church issue. But this is a symptom of a larger problem. It's a sin problem. It's a heart problem. Who has it? All men have it. All women have it. We long for the next thing. We're always thinking of the next thing, hoping it will be better than the last. The challenge for us, then, is to find a Savior who can heal the sick, who can make the lame to walk, Who can make the blind to see. And we'll only find that in one. For some today, they've made it science. A lot of the non-believers that I interact with, they have made science some sort of God. It's become like an object of worship anymore. Even by the staunchest atheists, they act like worshipers when it comes to science. They'll just say the word science like as as if they're worshiping it. And it's almost like they've become science theists in a way. They believe science can save them. But ultimately, science just elicits more questions. By definition, it cannot be an ultimate thing. There's only one who can do the signs that Jesus did. And that is God in the flesh, God among us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ Himself. Because He is the Creator. He can. Recreate eyes. He can recreate limbs. He can recreate bodies and raise them to life. And yes, he ultimately recreates the souls of men. We must rely on Christ alone for this. Because the saviors of this earth, they will only leave us wanting. We must cling to Jesus, the one that does the works of God, because he is God. So next, the witness of the Father. The Father bears witness. But what does Jesus say? The people have never heard of him. They've never seen him. This is fascinating since the Jews were supposedly the true people of God. Yet, they hadn't heard a word from the Lord in 400 years until Jesus came. And Jesus, being the word of God made flesh, was among them. And yet, what did they do? They still rejected him. They still wouldn't hear him. They didn't believe the one he sent, so why would they believe him? In fact, they would go so far as to do what? Kill Jesus, because he said that he and the Father were one, because they held to belief that their Savior was still to come. And can you imagine seeing a dead man coming out of a tomb and saying, yeah, well, I guess we'll have to wait for another actual Messiah to come after this one. I mean, angels filled the sky at the birth of the Messiah, a sight that probably wouldn't have gone unnoticed by many in that day. Yet the establishment said, well, I guess that could happen to anybody. He is the Messiah to come. He is the one that does the signs. He is the one that the Father attests to, yet they did not believe Jesus. So ultimately, they denied the one who the Father sent. So what do they do? They deny the Father. Remember. Father may Jesus judge over believers and unbelievers alike. So it is this Jesus whom they ridiculed and destroyed that will later judge them for all eternity for their lack of belief. And this goes for the ones who were in that day and the ones who don't believe today. And kind of mixing with that here is this last point with the witness of Scripture says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But they bear witness about me. The Old Testament, which they had, they had the Old Testament, speaks all about Jesus. Yet when they read that book, what did they think that it was about? They thought it was about how good they were. They thought it was all about making them look like superstars. But it was about Jesus. It was about pointing us to Jesus and how good he is. They sought for others to see their good works, to watch them follow the law, forgetting the one who actually wrote the law. They were masters of the scriptures, these leaders, yet they had no idea who the main character of the scriptures was, Jesus Christ. He says, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Again, lots of Messiah types in that day. But the difference between them and Jesus Christ is that Jesus was bringing glory to the Father. These men were bringing glory to themselves. That's really the best way to check a preacher of the gospel. Are they talking about Jesus? Are they talking about themselves? That's a question for us to ask ourselves too, isn't it? Are we talking about Jesus? Or are we talking about ourselves? How good we are? Look at the false teachers of our age and compare them. See who they talk about. How they carry on so that men can see them and glorify their names. Why? Because men and women will bring glory to the one that they worship. And so it really begs the question for us who do we worship it'll show you the one who you bring glory to look but look at verse 44 there how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only god the leaders then placed their hope in moses and we'll see later they placed their hope in Abraham, the pillars of the Old Testament Jewish faith, but neglected the fact that those men, Moses and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who did they put their faith in? Jesus Christ. Look at verses 45 and forty-seven. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. There is already one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. He accuses you. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in my words? If you believe Moses, like you say you do, then you'll believe me, because Moses actually talked about me. Abraham believed in Jesus. He looked forward to that day, yet they would rather proclaim the name of Abraham than Jesus. And so I think it's important for us to hear as well as sometimes we'll readily transfix ourselves onto a particular teacher, onto a particular pastor. We'll make those words the words of Jesus rather than the other way around. And I think this is a particular danger in reform circles. Many are guilty of doing that with even like the Westminster Standards, which I think are very good things, but these are words of men. These are not the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll take the reformed preachers of yesteryear and today, and they'll grab a hold of them as if they're the Savior. But what would these men do, the ones that crafted these documents, the ones that preached these things hundreds of years ago? They would have us point to Jesus, not to them. Jesus alone is the Savior for those of his people. And faithful men who is entrusted entrusted the gospel are just his servants. They do not deserve our worship. So in conclusion, we have to be careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we only put our trust in the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are many flashy products out there, brand new things, each with its promise of making our life easier and better, each without any ability to do so, each without any witness. And you say, when you pick up that thing, whatever it is, control, money, authority, whatever it is, you say, yep, this is my ticket to eternal life. But it can't be. It will never be. Because there's only one ticket to eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. So place your rest in him, the author, the finisher of your faith. He alone can deliver you from the entrapments of the idols that you've created. Bring glory to yourself. Repent of that idolatry. Seek out the Lord Jesus Christ. And for unbelievers, you've heard the word. And so, what are you going to do with it? What will you do with the testimony of Jesus Christ who testifies that he is the Christ and these witnesses testify to him as well? The gospel Alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has the power to wake up your mind. Have you considered the things of God? So consider Jesus. Call upon his name to be saved. Call upon the name of the only Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. John the Baptist attests the signs and miracles, the Father, and the very Word of God attest to these things. We need no other witnesses to place our continued faith in Jesus Christ. And as we seek to be witnesses to the world concerning Jesus Christ, let us place our faith in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you help us with this because we are the fickle children that you talked about. We are the ones that are easily distracted, are easily bored. with the the truths of old, seeking out the newest thing to save us. Lord, forgive us. Convict us. Point us to you and to you alone that we might point others to you, that we might bear witness and we might be your witnesses here in this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.